Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, you're a powerful woman in a profession dominated by men. How do you react when a male subordinate challenges you in front of a group? I could have dressed him down. What would have happened then? He would have been embarrassed, which would have been probably good, but so would everybody else have been. And you know who would have gotten the blame for it, right? Because he was their bud. So it would have been me. Coming up, an interview with Sally Krawcheck. For years, she was one of the few famous females on Wall Street. Before we get into the show, I want to mark this occasion, because this is the 100th episode of The Broad Experience. I started producing the show in the spring of 2012. If you're one of the early listeners, thanks so much for staying with me and the show all this time. It's only five years ago, but things were quite different then. Women in the workplace felt like a niche topic, even though it shouldn't have been given how many women work. But now it's an international conversation. Things I used to talk about in the early shows, like unconscious bias, These days, it feels like everyone's talking about that. In fact, there are so many blogs and podcasts and conferences on women and work now. I have wondered lately, where do I fit into this? Is there still a place for this show in the sea of content that's out there now? On the whole, I think there is still room for the broad experience. There's certainly still a need to talk about this stuff. And there's a lot of black and white out there, but I'm more interested in the grey. I try to keep these discussions thoughtful and nuanced. I'll never please everyone. You won't like all the guests you hear on this show. Maybe you won't always like what I say either. But that's part of the point. I don't want to have people with identical views on every episode. I want to make my listeners think. I want to make myself think and consider things from different points of view. Anyway, thanks for listening and supporting this independently produced show for five years. For a decade or so, Sally Krawcheck was one of very few women with a top job on Wall Street. She earned millions of dollars, had a huge office, and the use of a private jet. I knew her name from when I was a daily business reporter. I remember the news of her firing from Citibank spreading all over the business pages back in 2008. I ended up meeting her a couple of years ago because I'm a member of Elevate, the women's networking group she chairs now. After leaving Wall Street for good a few years ago, Sally became an entrepreneur. She bought Elevate, worked hard to build it, and more recently, she founded an investing platform for women called Elevest. If you're a US listener, you'll have heard me reading an ad for Elevest on the show recently. Sally is also the author of a new book called Own It, The Power of Women at Work. You say that not that long ago, you were one of those people who didn't really think about gender. You know, we're all people, we're all different. And now you're writing a book about 
women owning their power at work. Tell me a little bit about your past. Yeah. So if you'd asked me if I was a feminist, I would have said yes. I would have. I wouldn't have said it with a capital F. I would have said it with a little f. And if you looked at my leadership teams when I was running Smith, Barney, and Merrill, you would have noted that they were diverse. So I was out there, maybe not talking the talk, but I was walking the walk. It was really in my thinking post the financial crisis when I began to, as a former executive in these businesses and a former research analyst, began thinking about the causes of the crisis. Everybody was talking about evil geniuses, greedy evil geniuses who perfectly foresaw the downturn, and that is not at all what I saw. What I saw were well-meaning individuals who missed it. What I also saw were well-meaning individuals who all looked alike, had sort of the same backgrounds, had been in the same training programs, were all friends, some vacation together, who missed it. And as I began to think through, I thought, that is groupthink. And groupthink, well, how do you break groupthink? Next step, oh, diversity. Diversity of thought, perspective, background, education, orientation, skin color, nationality, and then one that has become my favorite, gender. And that's when I became truly passionate about the issue of the advancement of women in business. And you started doing your research, which obviously oh, is your forte. Right. I researched and researched and researched. I actually spent time down in Washington, D.C. saying, guys, you know, we talk about for these banks, quality of management is so important, but we're just winging it. You know, oh, I think he's smart. Oh, I think this person. Oh, this person has a lot of experience. The only research that I have seen that's out there that says anything about the quality of management is the research on diversity and in particular gender diversity. And that it's not by a little that companies that have people of difference in their leadership teams have higher returns on capital by a lot, lower risk, greater innovation, greater employee engagement, greater customer engagement. I mean, it's one after the other after the other. The power of diversity is such that diverse teams outperform smarter teams. It's, it's it. It's it. And yet, somehow we just don't seem to acknowledge it. And worse, even with this research, even with all of the discussion and debate and advice for women and do this and hear this book and this book and this book, the, the march to gender diversity has stalled. And in Wall Street, it's gone backwards. What? That isn't what I would have expected. And some people will know you and your work, but others will not. Can you, you famously talked about being fired publicly twice. Twice. Can you (laughs) tell people about those two really big jobs that you had? So my background, um, I was there. I, I was the CEO of Smith Barney for a period of time. I was the chief financial officer of City, and I was the CEO of Merrill Lynch, the, the thundering herd. So I was in those boardrooms. I was f- fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal twice, which is a world record, I'm pretty sure, for any woman. And really up there with the guys, too. I think some people do it once, but, you know, to do it twice is a super special event. And I talk, you know, for years, if you had said to me, were you fired from City because you're a woman, I would have said, absolutely not. That's an outrageous thing to say. You know, get over yourself. However, as time has passed, I've begun to think I was. Not because I had different body parts. Here's what happened. In the crisis, it turned out that we at Smith Barney had sold our clients investments that we truly, madly, deeply believed were low risk. It turned out they were high risk. They should have gone down eight cents on the dollar. They went down about a hundred cents on the dollar. The big print said 
low risk. The small print in the document said you could lose anything. I went to my very brand new boss and said to him, this is, this is unconventional, but I think we should partially reimburse clients. And I think we should do it because we're wrong because these are our clients. We did wrong by them because for the long-term health of the business, this is going to be better than getting sued. And it's just the right thing to do. It's the ethical thing to do. He disagreed. We went back and forth and back and forth. It eventually went to the board. The board sided with me. And of course, I knew then it was done. You know, you go up against your CEO at the board, you no longer have a job. And sure enough, a few months later, I found out I'd been uh, fired on CNBC, which is always a <laughs> one of those mornings. What happened? Well, hey, honey, what'd you do this morning? Well, I went and got some coffee and some Cheerios. I got fired. I found out I was fired on CNBC. That was my morning. Weird. Um, and, and what? That doesn't sound like a woman thing, except that the research, and I go through it in the book, talks about or shows that we women tend to be more relationship-focused than men. We know this. More long-term-focused than men. We semi-know this, and the research backs it up. More risk-aware than men are. Not risk-averse. Risk-aware. We want to know more about it. We want to understand it. We don't shy away from it. We just want to understand it more. And the other thing that the research shows is that we women tend to make decisions based on more factors That as the situation becomes more complex, we can keep up, and gentlemen tend to narrow their focus. And all those things went into my decision to go up against the CEO. So I say, yeah, I was I was fired because of maybe my woman my womanly characteristics. My my womanly characteristics. She ended up moving on to another top job, this time at Merrill Lynch, which had been bought by Bank of America. She was named head of global wealth management. The CEO who hired her said he'd be staying on for two years, but in the end, he retired two months later, and in came a new regime. And even though the business did well under her leadership, she never loved the job the way she had her previous role, and she lacked real supporters at a senior level. After two years, she was let go. Again. And the lesson of that was the importance for us, for everybody, us women, of sponsors. I had, when I called the board later and said, tell me what I could have done better, the answer is you had nobody in that room arguing for you. You were by yourself. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting, that picture of you on the couch kind of feeling sorry for yourself after a few glasses of wine the night before and then actually having the, you know, the guts, but that sensible instinct to actually find out, say thank you very much, what happened, and, yeah. and you, everyone told you, everyone who responded to you told you that same thing. And a lot of them didn't respond to me. But this is an issue, right, that we women tend to get less feedback at work than men do. And we are not as individuals. We don't come out of the womb understanding how to lead, understanding how to run a business. And so part of my advice in the book is feedback, 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 feedback. Some of it you throw away, right? Some of it, you, that's, that's cranky old, per, you know, whatever. But to try to learn about yourself every step of the way learn what works learn what doesn't is important and so I called the board even though I was in a tremendous amount of emotional pain and I was embarrassed and I was humiliated but I thought I can't wait a month to do this because then they'll give me their you know practice you know their pat answer time has passed I want this to be fresh and I want to surprise them into telling me the truth one one thing well, actually, could you just tell that story? You mentioned when you were first working, I think it was at Smith Barney, but it may not have been. You came and on your desk every day, you found an interesting little... Solomon Brothers. Boy, Solomon Brothers. So this is 1987. 
I am fresh out of college, and I mean, I still, I think I had a hate coming out of my teeth because I'd come from North and South Carolina and really came to Wall Street, not because I had this burning desire to work on Wall Street, but because I was a journalism major and wanted to learn about business in order to become a business journalist. And Came, you know, knew it was sort of rough and tumble, but it was Michael Lewis's, for, for those of your listeners who read the book Liar's Poker, I mean, Solomon was as tough as they came. And about my third day of work, so a couple of things happened. First of all, about my second day of work, um, I smelled cigar smoke and a gentleman came up, or man, came up behind me, this big portly dude, and he said, what kind of effing discount maternity wear is that? And I thought, who is that profane individual? And it was, you know, the height of Charleston fashion. Of course, it was my boss's boss's boss, right? So that was the environment. A couple days later, I saw a guy fall to the floor out of the corner of my eye. He'd had a heart attack in his 30s, 40s. They carted him away. They brought him back a couple of weeks later, and they fired him. Okay, so all this is happening. And in the meantime, to the story that you're talking about, I'm having Xerox copies on my desk every day of male nether regions. And, you know, you, you walk up and you're like, huh, this is an interesting artistic photocopy of something squishy and hairy. <laughs> you, you don't talk a lot about this kind of thing in the book. You tell some stories and you, you all sort of laugh them off. But, I mean, and you don't talk about sexual harassment either, but you must have had to deal with this. I mean, this is the, you call Wall Street the biggest boys club. Well, it is the biggest boys club. Um, look, what I did was I, you know, so it's funny because I did an interview a couple a week ago, and the person then was, sort of called me back after it and was a little accusing, just a, a, an edge of, well, why didn't you go to HR? And what about the other women? And I said, I was 22 years old. I had no idea there was such a thing called HR. Like, I had no conception that was even an option. By the way, my boss's boss's boss had just said, what kind of effing discount maternity wear is this? So, you know, that was the culture. And I had rent to pay. I came from, at the time, my family was solidly middle class. They could not afford to pay my year-long New York City lease. I had to keep that job. I had to keep the job. So I, you know, you just... Yeah. The same reason women today don't... Absolutely. Them. I did crumble it up, throw it away. And essentially, look, guys, y'all aren't going to run me out of here. You're just not. And eventually found my way out of investment banking and into research and to a company, Sanford Bernstein, that had different culture and different values where I felt like I could really be myself. But it took a lot of years to, to figure that out. And did, did you parry it with a, largely with a sense of humor? Well, so I, yes, because I had to. I will tell you, and, and I'm not sure I talk about this in the book, but I have found a friend of mine, actually one of the investors, one of the venture capitalists who's invested in Elevest, said something that was really interesting to me. She says she tells young women, if you look for gender discrimination, you will find it. And you will find it everywhere. And you can choose to look and look and look and have it drag you down, or you can choose to pick your battles on it. And there are battles you need to pick. Right. If someone is, you know, making overt sexual comments or overtures to you, you need to, you know, today, happily, we have anonymous report lines and people do know what HR is. And so I think the environment is different. What I have found, though, is that there is a lot of among men and women inherent gender expectations and biases that some of us many of us, most of us don't even know we have. 
And if you attack every one of those with anger and energy, you're going to wear yourself out. And so what I've found is I practice something I call MRI, most respectful interpretation. And I bring humor to it. And so I found, you know, one little example. When I was brought in to run Merrill, there was a, a more mature gentleman in a big branch meeting, 150 people. And he essentially challenged me, well, what, what makes you think you can run Merrill Lynch? And sort of arms folded, sitting back, challenging, not obnoxious, but challenging. And I could have, I was his boss's whatever, boss's boss's boss. I could have dressed him down. Um, what would have happened then? He would have been embarrassed, which would have been probably good, but so would everybody else have been. And you know who would have gotten the blame for it, right? Because he was their bud. So it would have been me. I would have been the brittle bitch who had embarrassed their friend. Instead, what I did was, oh, you know, and this isn't very funny, but it's just a slight, you know, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I thought I was here to do a presentation about the future of the company, but it looks like it's an interview, right? And he sort of, well, yes, I think it is. I said, okay, great. So let me, let me see how I do. And ended up going through, you know, parrying back and forth with him, going through my background. And at the end of it, I said, do you think I'm, you know, do you give me your okay to run the company? And he said, yes. And off we went. Now, none of it's particularly hilarious, but I let him off the hook. And I, let, I did it in a way that took the temperature in the room down, and I was respectful of him. MRI. It's not, oh, he's a, an old gender-biased fart. <laughs> Let me do that again. Take that out. Oh, he's an old gender-biased dude, you know, and I'm angry at him. Instead, it was, you know what? The way I'm going to think about this is this man cares for this company. And he sees me coming in quite a bit younger, looking quite a bit different than anybody else has ever looked here. So let me answer his question, and let's do it in a way that engages us both. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I told Sally I'd done a show on flexibility recently, and we started talking about how that's still lacking at so many companies, even companies that give lip service to the idea. Sally knows this firsthand. Sometimes you need to leave a culture. You know, I think we as women tend to think if we, you know, ask to be transferred away from a boss or away from a department or quit and go to another company, that that's a failure. But some companies really are not conducive to, I won't say being a woman, being a person, being a person. And so the anecdote I tell in the story is I, I had a scare. I had a real health scare and um, went to my boss, the CEO, and said to him, I'm afraid I'm going to have to step out today for a bit in order to have a brain scan. And um, his response was, well, get back as soon as it's over. Not Hope you're, you're okay. Oh, my gosh. Take all the time you need. Is there anything we can do? I don't want to pry. What, da, 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 da. Nothing. Get back as soon as you can. Unless you think 
I said, hey, I, I have to step out. I said, I have to go have a fucking brain scan, right? That was not the kind of company in which I wanted to work, quite honestly. Or I think people should want to work. Did you leave that company? Well, I got reorged out. <laughs> Actually, I say that because the, the issue that I really had, and, and I've thought about this a lot, that company's culture did not fit me. Bernstein's culture fit me. City's culture fit me. It was a company that where there were meetings before meetings to figure out what was going to be said at the meeting. And that's not a culture in which I felt completely comfortable. My challenge was I had 40,000 people working in my department, and so I just could never imagine calling my dad and saying, you know, I just, I'm just not comfortable every day. But what I will tell you is, it is this is a reason that we women drop out. When we have cultures that don't have any give to them, that don't accept us as people, I'll go further. When so much of the advice from so many experts out there and from our bosses and from our HR professionals, when we do our performance reviews, is essentially to act like a man, be more confident, raise your hand for the job you're not ready for, take on people, whatever those things are, those, those ways that push us to be something we're not always, what I hear from women again and again is it just I'm tired of being, being told, contorting myself to act like something I don't feel like. And look, the reason companies do it is because, one, they don't fully recognize the power of diversity is, dramatic pause, diversity. Not bringing in a bunch of people of difference and telling them to act like middle-aged white guys. And the other thing is, um, it's just an easier way to manage. I've, been, I've managed lots of people. It's way easier to manage everybody the same than to say, you know what, Ashley is an introvert, and so I, I'm going to have to pull stuff out of her as opposed to, you no, know, just come on. You need, to be mu- you need to be much more forthcoming. You do the work, not me. But when we allow people to be themselves, we get much more out of them. Yeah, and you're, I mean, you had, you had two really big health scares with each of your kids after you, had, you were not at, you were not in one of these jobs. But I have to wonder, if that had happened when you were on the job at that company I, what would have happened? I don't, you know, it's hard to, and both of my kids, I had such easy kids for so many years, and then all of a sudden they both, my, my son got very sick for a while, and then my daughter was in a car accident and was out of school for a while. And happily, somebody was looking down on me. Um, I wasn't working at the time, so I gave my full attention. And, you know, it's funny, for a bit of time I sort of said, geez, if this had happened when I worked at ex- any of these companies, I would have had to quit my job. The truth is I wouldn't have. I would have done a really bad job for my kids, and I would have really done a bad job for the company, and it would have been bad. So somehow in our, and particularly with companies like that, in our culture, the fact that we are humans and have lives outside of work, rather than being viewed as normal or even positive, it somehow it makes us less ambitious. I assure you, when I was in the hospital room with my son, I wasn't not ambitious. I was taking care of a kid who was in grave danger, right? It didn't mean I didn't want to be CEO or CFO or see anything O. It just meant I'm a human being. And I, for some reason, we, we, we hurt women, mostly women still, for just simply being humans. Regarding 
you lay out in the book, we should be talking, we should be having these conversations, we should be, you know, if someone makes an inappropriate comment, there's a way to draw them aside. But it, surely it's much easier for women who do have some seniority Absolutely. to do those things. Because the problem is the rank and file, it, it's, it's tough. Well, so I talk about the courageous conversation. Um, and the courageous conversation is the one that I'm having with the book is one where you will say, hey, Joe, you interrupted Susie 12 times in that meeting. These don't, again, we can do them with humor and most respectful interpretation, but part of that most respectful interpretation is is teaching people, sharing information with them. I'm not sure that you did this, but we'd get a lot more out of Susie if we didn't interrupt her. And of course, of course, any number of conversations are easier to have when you're more senior, but I had some at a junior level. Um, you know, and which ones can you have and which ones are you comfortable having? And all of them, not in a blame-based way, you're such a jerk, you're doing this, but hey, not sure if you're aware, right? Hey, was reading something the other day I think you might find useful? Um, Or it can be a courageous conversation even by going to HR. Coach me through this, please. I'm challenged by this. Help me work through this. It is their job after all. So I think for all of us, rather than just letting it go by, what, what do we see and how can we make our workplaces better? Because it's good for them to have these conversations. And by the way, we have to start them. I, I love all this bringing men in, bringing men in, bringing men in. I love it. I really, really, really hope it happens. I can tell you on Wall Street, I interrupted more men talking about more things than anybody on the planet. As I say in the book, never once did I walk into a room and say, oh my gosh, sorry guys. And like, oh no, hey Sally, come on in. The 10 of us are just sitting here shooting the, you know, breeze about the power of gender diversity and driving business results. Never happened. Never happened. It was me who had to bring it up because it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And so if we wait, if we continue waiting, we're going to see what we've seen so far, which is gender diversity in business is stalled. I think race adds an extra layer of well for women of color, especially if every, most people around you are white and your bosses are white. That's an extra layer of difficulty oh, there. Oh, my gosh. Well, in every way, right? Because we talk about the 78 cents on the dollar, but it's, it's more and much more for women of color, for women with disabilities as well. Um, so they're approaching these issues. You know, they have a harder climb than Caucasian women do. One way Sally is hoping to level the playing field for all women is by encouraging them to invest some of their hard-earned money. She recently founded Elevest, that investment platform for women I mentioned earlier. I know when you were doing your research, you had some outraged feedback along the lines of, how dare you you pinkify investing? How do you get around that? Because this is something that happens when anything is done for women. I know it. I know it. And I, for years, I have to tell you, people said, you should start an investing business for women. And I said, you should jump off a cliff because we don't need anything special or dumbed down or remedial financial education. And then the research and analysts in me recognize that we have a gap, a money gap we never talk about. I talk about it all the time now, the gender investing gap. Men invest to a greater degree than women do. It cost your listeners hundreds of thousands, some of them millions of dollars over the course of their lives. We will not be equal with men until we are financially equal with men. And the investing industry has really kept us away from it. Not on purpose, but an industry with 86% males who are on average in their 60s, an industry that traffics in war and sports analogies beat the market outperform pick a winner, 
an industry in which the TV shows are built off of sports broadcast, an industry whose symbol is the bull, which is a phallic symbol, is an industry built for men and indeed does a better job for men than for women. And so when I began to recognize this, and by the way, their answer is women work harder. Women, or you're, you're flawed in some way, you're risk averse. So you don't invest because you have a uterus, obviously, or you need more hand-holding, or you need more financial education. That one kills me because men need more financial education too, but they invest anyway. And so we spend hundreds of hours with women to build an investing platform that doesn't market to them, though we do market to them, but works to solve the underlying issues that keep them from investing. And so a couple things we did. No one else does. We take into account we live longer. Super important. We take into account, bummer, our salaries peak sooner. We have career breaks that we take. So that changes the entire complexion of how we need to save slash invest. But at first, women were quick to criticize. What we saw at the beginning is we put a pop-up a Facebook ad, how dare you, my lady brain isn't smart enough, you know, for the guy brains, I hate you. And then women would sort of circle through the site and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is different in a good way. It isn't sexist. It's sexist that we haven't had something like this in the past. What is notable and sad is that not one single solitary person, not one, has seen that it's for women and said it must be smarter, when in fact, in our, my view, it is. Full disclosure, I was intrigued by this idea, so I opened a small account at Elevest myself at the end of last year. Sally is on a book promotion blitz right now, and she needed to get to her next interview. But I wanted to make sure I covered one last thing. Can I ask you one more question? Do you have time for one more? Okay. Um, I was reading the book last night, and I, was, I thought, oh, I'm going to ask Sally why she doesn't talk more about her family and how she did it all. And then I get to the end of the book where you say, I'm not going to dwell on that. <laughs> but you do talk a little bit about, about that. But of course, everyone wants to know how a woman like you managed, you know, your yeah. family life, two kids. Uh, does your husband work in finance as oh, well yeah. or not? Two, two kids, two stepkids, two cats, and one husband who worked in finance. And look, part of it is we were fortunate because we both were compensated well. We were able to put in place an infrastructure and support structure that sadly many women in this country can't afford to do. So for me to, you know, for me to say, oh, it was so tough, I mean, we had it lucky. The other thing I'd say is that I took a different approach, which is the whole work-life balance, how do I do it, oh my gosh, I am a mediocre mother on my best day. I make such an unbelievable pie. I do a great luncheon spread. I'm 15 minutes late for every school play that ever has been. And guess what? It never killed my children. And my approach to it, rather than was, I'm sorry, I'm guilt-ridden, I hate myself, was, hey guys, I'm doing the best I can. What I wanted them to see, instead of me having this perfect work-life balance, what we talked about in my household is what impact was I making in the world out there. And she says even though her first office as an entrepreneur was the opposite of the corner office luxury she was used to, small, cramped, with mice, her daughter was impressed because she could tell her mom was really excited about what she was doing. That's the broad experience for this time. If you'd like to become part of the group of listeners that supports this one-woman show, you can go to the support tab at thebroadexperience.com or go to paypal.me slash thebroadexperience. Any contribution is welcome.
And if you can't give, maybe you can take a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes instead. This helps the podcast get found more easily, and I still need people to find me, believe me, even after 100 episodes. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.